Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Would you please take your Bibles and open them to Hebrews chapter 11? Hebrews chapter 11 in a Bible study that I've entitled, Why You Can Trust Your Bible, Part 2. And really the emphasis today is because Jesus did. Why can you trust your Bible? Because Jesus trusted the Bible. And he lived by it. And he believed in its word. Now I know in a real way we could say that Jesus was the author of the Bible, as Jesus is God. And yet when he came to earth, he lived and took on the human body. He was fully man and fully God. And many of the people that ask questions about the Bible, it's not sufficient enough for you just to say, well, God wrote the Bible. Because then they'll ask you, well, how do you know that God wrote, wrote the Bible? And you'll say, well, because the Bible says so. And they'll go, well, why do you know that the Bible says so? Because God said so. And they'll accuse you of what? Circular reasoning. And this series of studies, this just a couple of studies, last time and today, is intended to help you break that. Because people with questions, even critics and skeptics, deserve an answer. And it's good for us to know the answer. That maybe even you and your faith in Jesus might have a little bit of skepticism or perhaps a little criticism in your heart still. And the way that that is eliminated is that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That what you believe in is not blind faith. How easy it is to say, oh, you Christians, you just believe in a bunch of fairy tales and myths and you're, you're just blinded to the facts. Actually, it's the exact opposite. The Bible describes faith, biblical faith, is not blind at all. Biblical faith is born by having the blinders removed and now you're able to see things spiritual and understand them from God's perspective. And so pick up with me in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, where we learn that now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. So we learn that faith has both substance and evidence. And it's by your faith in God that a good testimony is developed. It's not your good works, it's not your good deeds, it's not your bad works or your failures, a good testimony is developed by a faith relationship with God. And then notice the hall of faith opens up with you and me. And it says, by faith we understand. That's you and me. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So that the things that are seen were not made of the things which are visible. And so we believe. Somebody might ask, where did I come from? Where did all of this come from? How did the world start? How did life start? And your answer is very quick, very, very immediate. Well, I believe that God created the world. And of course, they'll say, well, why do you believe that? Because the Bible says so. And then once again, you get into the conversation where someone no doubt will say, well, that's all just circular reasoning. But we stop here in the middle to say, no, it's not circular reasoning because the book in which we learn these things is divine in origin. So that when someone asks you, who wrote the Bible, your answer is God. So when someone asks you, for the rest of the people that are in the room, you ready? Say it out loud. When someone asks you, who wrote the Bible, you say God. 
but then they say, wait a minute, I don't believe in the Bible because man wrote it. And then you get a little nervous. You go, wait a minute, God wrote it. Ed said God wrote it, but now man wrote it. What? And we went through that, didn't we? You don't have to argue with that. There's a truth to what they say. It's true. Men were used to write down the words of God. That's true. So in a real way, you could say men wrote the Bible. Yet it's revealed to us that men wrote the Bible as they were inspired by God. That the Bible, Peter taught us, that holy men of God wrote as they were moved or carried along by the Holy Spirit. So men were the agency that God used to author his Bible. And we learned that the Bible is trustworthy. It's hold, you can trust the Bible. It's a miraculous book written by 40 different authors over the span of 1,600 years. 1,600, 1,600 from beginning to end it took to write the Bible at various stages. They wrote in three different languages, the Hebrew, Aramaic, and the common Greek of the first century. They wrote in three, on three different continents. And yet having 40 different authors spanning 1,600 years, the Bible has no contradictions. Troubling passages, for sure, but not one contradiction. Instead, the Bible has one unifying theme. And the theme is God's love for man and his salvation through Jesus Christ. The, the whole theme of the Bible is the love pursuit of God for his creation. God's loving pursuit of you. That God is the initiator. Everything starts with God. You started with God, I started. At God, he starts things. We're not the initiators. God is the initiator. We're the responders. And even though the Bible's under attack today, it has and continues to stand the test of time. We learned that there's ample, and we use, use this word maps, we learned that there's ample manuscript evidence, that's what the M stands for. The A in maps stands for archeological evidence. The, the P in the word map stands for predictive prophecy, and the S stood for statistical probability of all these things coming together, and that was the sum of our time last time. Lives are literally changed by the word of God. It's living and powerful. I'm sure that's your testimony. It is certainly my testimony. And today I want to look at an even greater evidence. If we had no manuscripts, if we had no writings reserved from the church fathers, if we had no archaeology, we went looking the whole globe and couldn't find anything, if we had no predictive prophecy, which really isn't possible, and then we wouldn't have any of the statistical reliability and all, if we had no physical evidence, I want to suggest to you a greater evidence that, that supersedes all others, and that's simply this. We believe the scriptures to be true because Jesus Christ believed the scriptures to be true. He believed them, he taught them, and he submitted his life to the teachings in God's written word. Now remember, as we launch into this, when Jesus was teaching on the first century, there was no New Testament. So when he uses the phrase scriptures, what he's referring to in his teachings is what we know today as the Old Testament. What you might hear referred to as the law and the prophets or the wisdom literature. That, that begins in Genesis through the end of Malachi 
which would encompass the entirety of what we know as the Old Testament today. He is teaching from the Old Testament the gospel message and his own life fulfilling it. However, since the apostolic writings, and that would be the writings from those that followed him closely, are equal with the Old Testament, Jesus is indirectly affirming the entirety of the scriptures, and we'll see that before we end today. Jesus has proven not only to be a credible witness, but a trustworthy messenger from God, literally God in human flesh. And the piece of proof or evidence that Jesus gives to us that what he taught, what he believed is true, is the resurrection. The resurrection seals the deal. His resurrection seals the deal of everything that he did. It validates that he came from God and he told us the truth. And I don't want you to miss, in the life of Jesus, he could have just come with the authority of his presence. But what he did was, he not only came in the authority of his presence, but he used the Bible to validate what he was teaching. He taught the Bible, and at the same time used the Bible to validate what he was teaching. It's the same pattern that you have when you're talking to others. You use the Bible, but also the Bible validates. And here's the evidence that we have in Jesus. First of all, in his teachings, Jesus referred to the divine authority of the Old Testament. He quoted it some 78 times, direct quotes. He quoted from the first five books, the Pentateuch, 26 times. When you read the teachings of Jesus, and that's, by the way, friends, that's just what we have recorded. Remember at the end of the Gospel of John, it said that Jesus taught and did many other things, but they're not recorded because there's not enough books that could possibly contain the life and times of Jesus Christ. So that's just what God had reserved for us to, to be recorded in the scriptures. But in what he recorded and what's recorded of his teachings, Jesus quoted from Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, the Psalms, the Proverbs, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Amos, Jonah, Micah, and Malachi. And you say, slow down, Ed, I couldn't even write Genesis. Well, put your pen down then because we're gone for a ride. We're going to go much faster than that. Jesus' teachings was saturated with the Old Testament. You know, on many occasions, Jesus called the Old Testament, quote, scriptures, he also referred to the Old Testament as, quote, the word of God, and also, quote, the wisdom of God. When he looks back on God's written word, he speaks to us of the validity and truthfulness that are there. So our study today is in two categories. This first category is an overarching view of what Jesus believed about the scriptures. And so if you want to jot them down, I'll give them to you. We're going to start number one. Jesus affirmed the Bible's divine authority and origin. He affirmed the Bible's divine authority and origin. Over and over, Jesus declared, it is written. We see that at least three times in Matthew chapter four. He instructed, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God, Matthew 4, 4. Jesus even appealed to scriptures as the highest authority by which Satan can be rebuked. When he said in Matthew 4.10, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord thy God and serve him 
only. He believed in the Bible's divine authority. Number two, Jesus believed in the Bible's eternality. The eternal substance of the scriptures. Matthew chapter five, verse 17. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I didn't come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or tittle will by no means pass away until the law is fulfilled. Jesus would say in another place, heaven and earth will pass away, but by my word will by no means pass away. It's eternal. Truly the only two things in etern etern eternally that we'll take with us from here into heaven is the souls of men and the word of God. They translate from here into all of eternity. Number three, Jesus believed in the Bible's historicity, its historical accuracy. Remember we learned that God, when he wrote his word, rooted the Bible in historical markers. Like it is rooted in time. It, it names places, it names dates, it names governments. It's rooted in time. Now the Bible is not a history book. So just like many history books, you pick up a history book, it has limited insight. No history book covers every single item of every, it's impossible. Well, the Bible is not a history book. However, when it does speak on history, it is 100% accurate. And Jesus refers to the Bible, it's true in its historic accuracy. Not only is it true in its historic accuracy, but remember, God is able to write history in advance. He is able to write something down before it ever happened. What do we call that church? Prophecy. God is able to prophetically say something's gonna happen and he's able to write history in advance, which is very powerful. Notice in the scripture references Matthew chapter 12, verse 40. And he just refers to a couple instance, instances that were historically accurate. For example, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so the son of man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So not only does he say Jonah was real and the time of that great fish was real, but so was the timing, three days and three nights. Why? Because he would also use that to predictively prophesy his death and resurrection. Matthew chapter 24, verse 37. For as the days of Noah were, so that's an accurate representation. There were days in which Noah, a real man, lived. So like those days, historically, historically like the days of Noah, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Number five, number five. Jesus believed in the Bible's divine inspiration. Not just its authority divinely, but also the divine inspiration. This is amazing. You may have read this a hundred times and never noticed it. I want to draw it out to you. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 43, it says this. Jesus is speaking. It says, he said to them, how then does David? So this is a reference back to the Psalms when David was writing the Psalms. So he says, how is it then that David in the spirit... How is it that David in the spirit calls him Lord, saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool, which is a reference from the Psalms. So Jesus says, how is it that when David was writing the Psalms, how? In the spirit, which is another way of reminding us of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit when the Holy Scriptures were written. And so when Jesus looks back at David and he says, hey, David just wasn't a songwriter. He wrote those Psalms 
in the Spirit. And Jesus believed in the inspiration of the Spirit through the Scriptures. Number six, Jesus believed in the Bible's spiritual clarity. How the Bible is to bring clarity to matters of spiritual life. Peter would put it this way, that we've been given all things pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of Jesus. Well, Jesus in his teaching is saying, I'm going to use the Bible to clear up the confusion in your life spiritually. And this is where he does it in Matthew 22, verse 45. He says, if David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? No one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day on did anyone dare question him. Why? Because Jesus answered the issue at hand by quoting the scriptures and the scripture clarified the truth, but also clarified the false teaching in the people that were standing in front of him. Now, spiritual clarity doesn't always come to us right away. You may be a very avid Bible reader, and you come today and you go, I read the Bible a lot, but a lot of it I don't understand. Don't ever forget that you and I are on a lifelong journey of learning. And none of us have come to the place where we know everything about everything, and neither will we get to that place until we meet Jesus face to face. So spiritual clarity comes little by little over time. And I would encourage you, if you get frustrated reading the Bible and you don't always understand it, don't camp on and focus on all the things you don't understand, but take joy and rejoice that there are things you do understand, that there are principles that God gives you, and that over time, you're going to continue to learn, you're going to continue to grow, and you're going to continue to get clearer things. As you move forward in your relationship with God, things do get clearer. Jesus believed that the Bible would bring clarity into your life and mine and solve our problems. The Bible is a book that God uses to solve problems in our life. Number seven, Jesus believed in the Bible's infallibility. Jesus believed in the Bible's infallibility. In John chapter 10, verse 35, it says, if he called them gods, little g, to whom the word of God came, and then Jesus says this little phrase, and the scripture cannot be broken. So he says, to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken. He believed in the infallibility of the Bible. Number eight, Jesus believed in the Bible's supremacy. What we would say today is that Jesus believed that the Bible is the final court of appeal. It is God's final word to us that will dictate to us and answer every dilemma in our lives. That we yield to the Bible. That no tradition trumps the Bible. That no religion, no pastor, no priest, no mom, no dad, no grandma, no grandpa, no one's opinions and teachings are more important than what the Bible teaches. And that's a very important thing to grasp because I know some of you were raised in a religious system where tradition was higher than the Bible and that traditions continue to change. And instead of appealing to the Bible, you'll find a teaching appealing to what somebody said. That was happening in the first century. In the first century, men were following rabbis and rabbinic teachings and they were following man. And when the rabbis, when, when they contradicted one another, then there was great, nobody appealed to the Bible. They just appealed to, to the rabbis. And this is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 15. He answered and said, this is verse three, why do you also transgress the commandment of God 
because of your tradition. For God commanded, this is what God wants, saying, honor your father and mother, and he who curses father and mother, let him be put to death. But you say, and that was the, one of the key elements of the ministry of Jesus. He would say many times, you have heard it said, but I say to you. It would be the equivalent, I know they taught you that, but it's wrong. And here's the truth. Well, where do you find the truth? Not in a church, not even necessarily from the pastor's lips. You find the truth in the scriptures. It's not the latest thing you saw on YouTube. It's not the latest article you got forward. It's not the latest book or some newfangled thing that's happening in the world today. The final authority is the Bible. And God will make it clear. And what they had done is they had dishonored their parents by creating a new tradition. And Jesus rebuked them for it. Why? Because he, he believed the Bible said what it said and meant what it meant. And it's supreme on all our life It is the supreme authority on our life and spiritual actions. Number nine, Jesus believed in the Bible's inerrancy. Inerrancy, which kind of goes together with infallibility. Jesus replied and said, you are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God, Matthew 22. So much of our spiritual error is directly related to you don't know the scriptures. Which is why as a church, as we celebrate 20 years coming up here, that we reaffirm our commitment. My commitment to you as a pastor is to teach you the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, all the way through, good and bad, easy passages, hard passages. Why? Because you need to know the word so that you won't be in error. And if you come to us with a question that hasn't been taught recently, or that's one of the neat things. If somebody has a Bible question or has an issue, we go, well, you know, we already taught on that. The studies are up on the app. Go listen to the study. We've already taught that section of the Bible. We've already answered that question. But let's just say you come to a question we haven't taught. You come to me, you come to one of the pastors, one of the ladies, one of the leaders, whoever you come to in this church, what they need to do is they need to take the Bible and they need to open it up and give you the answer from the Bible. What you don't need is a bunch of opinions and well, this is how I was raised and how my mom did it. This is why my, the priest told me to do it. This is what Pastor Ed said to do. No, no, it's not any of those. What does the Bible say? And how do I live it out in my life? That was the big error. You guys don't know, he said. You're in error because you don't know the scriptures. And that's our commitment for you to know the Bible. For you to know the Bible more than you know current culture for more than you know the latest movies, more than you know your sports statistics, more than you know even your profession, that you would know God through his word. And Jesus taught and lived that. Number 10, Jesus believed the Bible taught the gospel message, that the gospel was found in the scriptures. And this, you Bible students would know this as the red cord of salvation or redemption. And the idea of that statement is simply that Jesus is on every page in every scripture. Like you can find Jesus either in the Old Testament prophesied or in the New Testament confirmed that the whole Bible is about him and his redemptive work, Messiah, the Savior. We learn this in Luke chapter 24, verse 27. You remember Jesus was on the road after the resurrection with these guys on the road to Emmaus. And it says in Luke chapter 24, verse 27, that beginning at Moses, 
which is simply a reference beginning at Genesis 1-1 and all the way through the prophets to the end of Malachi, so your entire book, beginning in Moses and all the prophets, Jesus expounded to these young men all the scriptures concerning himself. What a Bible study that must have been. Like right in Genesis 1-1, you, know, you can say, well guys, here, let's Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created, and Jesus said, I was there. And he just kind of goes through all the way through whether all, remember we spent all that time looking at the tabernacle and how all the pieces of the tabernacle pointed to the coming Messiah. It was all in preparation. And when Jesus speaks of the Old Testament, he says, look, you can teach the gospel right out of the Old Testament. You can share with someone all through Isaiah, through Genesis, through Exodus, you know, just, just with Moses facing Pharaoh and and telling him he needs to put blood on the doorstep was a picture and a type of Jesus Christ and the covering that would come by faith in him. Number 11, Jesus believed in the divine authority, listen, of the New Testament to come. Yes, while he was living and teaching, the New Testament didn't exist, but he prepped and prepared his disciples for the divine authority of the New Testament canon. Not only did he confirm the Old Testament, but he said the same for the New Testament that's to come. How did he do that? Well, remember he told his apostles that the Holy Spirit would come and lead them into all truth, that he would teach them all things, John chapter 14 and John chapter 16, that they would be guided into all truth. And by the time we get Jude's writing, it's that we have the faith once for all delivered to the saints. So with that in mind, I want to end our time today looking at a few things that Christians are mocked and ridiculed for almost every day of every week. With all that's going, all that's going on in the world today, the most persecution that really happens is Christians and Christianity being mocked, being ridiculed, being criticized, being belittled, being demeaned, you, you, you know, you're out sharing the love of God with someone and their response is, you're not that dumb, are you? You believe in that stuff? You believe in the mythology? You believe, you believe in things that were made up? And, you know, you believe in things that men wrote? And you, how could you possibly believe in those things? And if you're not careful, you get hit with that constantly, you might start to doubt yourself. You, you might even be in a place of doubting today. And the idea of that humanness of doubting isn't necessarily a bad thing because a lot of good can come out of your questioning if you allow the Bible to answer your questions. If you continue going by faith, trusting God, even though you have some concerns and some questions. Even if you walked in and such great pain is in your heart right now and you've got the biggest doubt that there is. And the biggest doubt is why, God, if you're so good and you're so faithful and you're so kind and just and, and on and on that list goes, then why did you let this happen? And why are you doing this? And why? And that's the biggest doubt. But I know that when you ask that question and you ask it toward God, his answer will be this. Well, just come and let's reason together. Let me reveal myself to you. Let me remind you of my goodness. Let me remind you that everyone goes through difficulty. So doubting in and of itself isn't necessarily a bad thing. God can use it in your life to build your faith, 
But you've got to go to the right place for the answers and be honest with yourself that you are willing to submit to the truths when they contradict your beliefs. That's probably the biggest barrier to growing in faith because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We get that. But the biggest barrier of faith growing in your life is you being resistant to the truths of God's word because your belief, you're holding a higher view of your belief, your opinions, your feelings than simply choosing to submit to the truth of God revealed in his word. So I want to spend our remaining time today looking at things that, true things in the Bible that Jesus Christ himself believed. Because you might, you know, you, as we get through them, we'll look and say, these are, the, these are the things that people in this culture are just like, bam, yeah, I can't believe you believe. How dumb can you be? And maybe even being so rude to say, you're an idiot. Only idiots believe that kind of stuff. And instead of being personally offended by that, you're just like, man, do you, do you know that I not only believe in this, but Jesus believed. So do you think Jesus was an idiot? Now that's a strong thing to say. Of all the people, all the skeptics and critics I met over the years, only a few of them would be willing to go that far. Only a few of them would scoff and mock Jesus Christ that much. Most of the time, speaking to them about their feelings towards you and associating them toward Jesus, who you follow, causes a, a person to pause and consider what they're saying and what they believe. So let's go through a list of things that Jesus believed that we as believers, followers of Christ, believe ourselves. Number one, Jesus believed in a literal no, Jonah, Nineveh, Queen of Sheba, and Solomon. And we see that all in Matthew chapter 12. Because, you know, you talk about Jonah and a great fish, and somebody will go, you don't believe that. That's impossible. That's scientifically impossible. That, that is not natural. That doesn't happen. And your answer to that, of course, it could be impossible in a lot of ways, but God supernaturally had this event occur. Jonah was a real man. Most people don't argue with Nineveh. There's evidence today, archaeologically, that Nineveh exists. That that's not a problem. Queen of Sheba is pretty well um, expressed and accepted today. Uh, of course, Solomon's accepted today in many cases, but Jonah and a great fish? Jesus believed it. Matthew chapter 12, verse 40. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Which makes sense. You've got to get rid of Jonah, because if you get rid of Jonah, you can get rid of the resurrection of Christ. Because the resurrection of Christ was prophesied as connected to a historical event. Jesus believed it, so do I. Number two, this next one makes sense too. You get rid of Adam and Eve and a literal six-day creation, you can get rid of God. God's not needed. Jesus believed in Adam and Eve. He believed in the Garden of Eden. He believed in a literal six-day creation by God himself, Matthew chapter 19, verse four. Most Bible critics believe that the first humans evolved from lower forms of life in the humanistic, especially in the last couple of generations, this humanistic anti-God view of evolution, evolutionary theory as it changes and adapts and change, like it's evolution, the evolutionary theory is subject to evolution because it's changing all the time and you can't really pin them down. But the whole purpose is to undermine, undermine the creation account, the true origins like he says in Hebrews 11 we understand that the worlds were formed by the word of God and that's what's the ba basis and foundation of our faith but do you know Jesus affirms Adam and Eve actually not on a question or a topic of creation 
he actually affirms the creation of Adam and Eve by a literal one true God in a question about marriage. And marriage was being questioned and the issues around marriage so that if you get rid of Adam and Eve, then you can define marriage however you want. And if you get rid of Adam and Eve, then you don't need God anymore. And if you don't need God anymore, then you can define life and the requirements of life and be accountable to no one and do everything yourself. And in response to a question on the relationship between a husband and a wife, man and woman, Jesus established the basis for marriage of the first couple whom he said were created by God. In Matthew 19, 4, it says, haven't you read that at the beginning the creator made them male and female and said for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. There's so much definition in those two sentences by Jesus that answer a lot of the chaos and confusion that has captured our culture in these last few days. Jesus believed in a literal Adam and Eve. Thirdly, Jesus believed in a literal Cain and Abel. The first person we are gonna learn about, besides ourselves, in the hall of faith is Abel. Jesus believed that Abel and Cain were real. Matthew 23, verse 34. Therefore, indeed, I send you prophets, wise men, and scribes. Some of you will kill and crucify. Some of them you'll scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city. That on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah. Fourthly, Jesus, this is real relevant for those of you that are joining us on Wednesday uh, as we're studying through verse by verse through the book of Daniel. Not, not only the person of Daniel, but the prophetic, powerful teachings of Daniel. Jesus believed in Daniel, a literal Daniel. That's important to some of the Christian critics, the higher scholars that say Daniel is not a legitimate book. Many scholars today say that Daniel was not even a prophet. He, he was just a historian and he wrote the book of Daniel after the fact after all the prophecies, after the rise and fall of all the various kingdoms that, that are written of instead of beforehand. Because you know how stunning it is as he gives us an overview through the dreams of Nebuchadnezzar and, and, and other teachings of all of the rise and fall of kingdoms from the kingdom of Babylon to the kingdom all the way at the end of the book of Revelation in the great tribulation period to the revived Roman Empire Daniel speaks of. If you dismiss Daniel, then you undermine most of the prophetic explanations in the scriptures. Jesus believed in a literal Daniel who was a prophet, according to Matthew chapter 24, verse 15. So when you see standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand, Jesus said. And after that, Jesus went on to give a detailed prediction about the destruction of Jerusalem that wouldn't take place for 40 more years. Daniel is a legitimate prophet that wrote on behalf of God. Number five, Jesus believed in a literal prophet Elijah. Luke chapter four, verse 25. He said, I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, which was miraculous, the famine that came on, that God predicted that Elijah said on behalf of God. And there was a great famine throughout all the land, verse 26, Luke 4. But to none of them was Elijah sent, 
but to the widow in Zarephath. He believed in a literal Elijah. Number six, this is another one, probably more popular. Jesus believed in a literal Noah, in a literal ark, and a literal worldwide flood that was sent by God himself as judgment upon the earth. And how many of you met people that go, oh, you don't believe that was a big ark, a big boat, a worldwide flood. You don't believe Noah was real. Yes, I do. It's such an important truth that many other truths in the scriptures hang on. Jesus put it this way in Luke 17, verse 27. He refers back to that time of Noah and he says, they ate, they drank, they married wives, were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. He mentions four things there. Noah, the ark, worldwide flood, and the judgment of God. Jesus believed it and so do I. Number seven, Jesus believed in a literal Sodom and Gomorrah and a man by the name of Lot. Which really, when you see this, that means he believed in all of the scriptures that surround this. But yeah, he believed in a literal Sodom and Gomorrah. Luke chapter 17, verse 28. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot. They ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rains fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Number eight. Jesus believed in Moses and that Moses was spoken to through a burning bush. He says it flat out. Oh, you can, okay, maybe I'll take Moses. But do you really believe that a bush spoke to him? Jesus did. Luke chapter 20, verse 37. But when, even when Moses showed in the burning bush passage that the dead are raised... When he called the Lord, and listen, he called the Lord the God of Abraham. Jesus believed in Abraham. The God of Jacob, Isaac, the God of Jacob. Because Jesus said he is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to him. So check that out. If you get rid of Moses, you get rid of the resurrection. But if you, excuse me, if you get rid of of Jonah, you get rid of the resurrection. But if you get rid of Moses, you get rid of, why? Because in the volume of the book, it's written of Jesus. It's all intertwined. And Jesus, when he taught, he taught with the authority of scriptures that he believed were profitable to change your life, to teach you what's right, to teach you what's wrong, to teach you how to get right, and to teach you how to stay right in life. We learned that, 2 Timothy 3.16, remember? All scripture is inspired of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. Number nine, our final one for today, almost. Jesus believed that all of the Old Testament was true. And he referred to it all in that same passage we read in Luke 24, verse 27, where he, at the beginning of Moses, Genesis, to the end of Malachi, he expounded to those men on the road to Emmaus the things. He believed that all of the scripture were profitable and he used them all to teach these guys on the road to Emmaus. And not only that, Jesus on five different occasions, on five different occasions said and taught that he was the central theme of the Old Testament, that he was what it was all about. He did that in Matthew chapter 5 verse 17. We read already that the scriptures I came to fulfill. Luke chapter 24, 27, 
all of the scriptures he taught. We've read that before. Luke 24, 44, he says, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. He said in John 5, 39, you search the scriptures because in them you think you have eternal life, but these are they which testify of me. And we've already studied in Hebrews chapter 10, verse five, therefore when he came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you've prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. And then I said, behold, I have come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me to do your will, O God. So church, can we trust our Bibles? We can. There's overwhelming evidence of the Bible's truthfulness. And yet above all that, Jesus Christ himself believed, taught, submitted himself to, and fulfilled the Holy Scriptures. And it's the Spirit of Christ that's in us now that helps us to understand what the Bible means and what it means for our lives. So Father, thank you for the privilege of going through this uh, rapid fire Bible study, um, just learning about the significance and power of your word. I pray for those that are doubting today, that they're probably really confused and really wrestling with their doubts and their questions, but you invite them. You invite them to come to you. You said, come to me and let's reason together. There are reasonable answers to doubts that are on hearts today. There are reasonable answers to the skeptics and the critics, even the scoffers and the mark mockers you have an answer for. And so God, we're asking for your Holy Spirit to make, come to life, that our faith would be built up on one point, two points, three points, five points, that you would build our faith up in trusting you in a deeper, growing relationship. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.